So um, I want you to, we're going to have a, the, our last pop quiz for the year 2021. And uh, it has, I feel that most all of you, because of Adam and his doing such a great job during our Advent season, I think all of you will pass it, especially if you had a chance to be here during our Advent season, you will pass with flying colors, all right? Um, and so if you weren't able to join us and you want to find out and do some more study, you know, after you take this pop quiz, you can go to our uh, new podcast at Sardis Sermons and uh, all, all those uh, have been uh, uploaded to that. So let's start the quiz. All right. What was the name of Mary's child, the babe in the manger? Jesus. Amen. All right. Everybody get that one? I just wanted to start you off with an easy one. All right. Who said, I am the bread of life in John 6? Who said, I am the light of the world in John 8? Who said, I am the door in John 10? Who said, I am the good shepherd in John 10? Who said, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11? Who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14? And who said, I am the true vine in John 15? How many of you passed? <laughs> Throughout the Advent series, we came to understand that because Jesus Christ, the babe, uh, the babe in the manger, is all these things, He is to sum up the series in one sentence, Jesus Christ is our only hope. It's the world's only hope. If you sum all that up, I'm quoting from Pastor Adam. I wanted to make sure that I got it right. If you sum all those things up that he is, he is also the world's only hope. He is the world's only hope of salvation from sin that enslaves each person. Because Jesus is the world's only hope, it is imperative that everyone in the world hears that message of hope. Amen? And that is why Jesus himself gave his church the primary mission of being his witness. And we, uh, in our series in Acts that we're going to continue next week, we understand uh, what that mission was very clearly. He said in Acts 1.8 at the very beginning, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the, or, <clears throat> the, end of the earth. That's our mission. That's the primary mission. Because everybody needs to know who the babe in the manger was and that he is our only hope. Let me ask you a question. It says that you will be my witnesses. What does a witness look like? As witnesses, we already know from our series in the book of Acts that the message of our witness should be the good news of Jesus Christ salvation through him and him alone but what should the witness who is giving the message look like i'm not referring to the physical aspects of a person i'm referring to what the life lived by that person looks like to those who are hearing the message from them what does a witness look like we find some insights into this question in paul's letter to the corinthians let's get some context here first the book of 2 Corinthians reveals much about Paul as a person. And so turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians, uh, and we're going to look at chapter 4 for just a minute. It's on page 1,227 in your pew Bible. We're going to find here that we see a very personal side of Paul that we don't see in any of his other letters. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. How many of you think that Paul in his letters seems to be just that stalwart man of God, strong, never moving, always ready to take on the, the world and take on uh, the Pharisees? I mean, we get that, right? But in 2 Corinthians, we find throughout the book that Paul really struggled at times. He was like us, amen? And this is one of those times. Look at uh, verse 7 of chapter 4. But we have this treasure uh, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power uh, belongs to God and not to us. Listen to what he says about himself. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul struggled. There were hard times in his life. And in, in 2 Corinthians, we find in other places, he asked people to pray for him because of struggles that he's having, especially in the Corinthian church at this point in time. One of those uh, issues that he was dealing with that would have been very difficult, uh, we find in 2 Corinthians... And it's in a fairly large portion of 2 Corinthians. And, it's, and he, in writing this letter, he is going to address a defense of his apostolic ministry. Because there were some false teachers uh, that had come into the church, and they considered themselves to be super apostles. They considered themselves to be apostles of a different level than Paul. And they worked really, really hard at discrediting Paul and his apostleship among that church. And if anybody has been close to a pastor, if anybody has been close to a man who, who pours his life into a church, you would have to understand or you begin to understand just a little bit how much that would hurt. Especially when some of the people in the church were abandoning you for the false teaching. That would just draw a shepherd's heart. That would, that would pierce a shepherd's heart, knowing that they were going to follow false truth. We see Paul referring to these people in 2 Corinthians 2.17, he says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. You see how he puts that? Peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He calls these false God, uh, 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 teachers peddlers. And a peddler does what? He is selling something for whose gain? Their own. And he's saying, these false teachers are coming in. They're leading my flock astray. They're leading God's people astray. And they are peddling something that is only for the good of the person who is teaching, the false teacher. And Paul's heart is broken. But Paul faced a dilemma. If he did not defend himself, the Corinthians might abandon him in favor of the false teachers. Yet if he did defend himself, he left himself open to the charge of those very same false teachers that he was pridefully commending himself to them. Either way, he was, a, he, was in a, he was in a situation that was difficult. But one of the methods that Paul does, uh, uses in 2 Corinthians uh, to defend himself is to point out that the life he has lived among them matches the message of God that God gave him. It ma the messenger's life matched the message. So Paul reminds the Corinthians they knew his apostleship and ministry were valid because they had experienced his life and his message. Look at what it says, what he, how he puts this in 
2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he says, I didn't take it. It's by God's mercy. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, we're not like these peddlers. We speak openly in the truth. And he says, we, we are... Uh, we, Refuse to practice cunning ways to bring the truth to you. It says, you see that his life and his message is matching there. And if you turn to chapter 6, chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 3 through 11, he brings our minds to this again. He's talking about his life and how he lived it in front of the apostles, starting in uh, verse 3 of chapter 6. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand, uh, for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated with impos uh, as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, as dying and behold, we live as punished as not yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. He says, "Just look at my life. Look at what you know about me. To understand that my life." shows that I am different than these people who are calling them apostles. And what we learn here and what we need to grasp is that we can really speak the message of Christ, but the message of Christ is going to be hindered. It can be hindered really, really to, in a detrimental way if our lives do not match the message that we are speaking. Our lives, how we walk each and every day, must match the witnessing message that God has given us. The life of integrity Paul lived before them validated his, apostle, his apostleship. As Paul moves through this letter, he uses a word that is only used by him in the New Testament, and he only uses it twice. It is a word that helps us grasp this idea of a witness having a life that matches the message. We find that word in chapter 5, so please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 16 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here comes that word. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he has made, us to, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says that those who have been made new creations are ambassadors. And this unique word, like I said, is the word ambassador. 
He says that we are ambassadors. The word Paul uses for ambassador gives us a picture. It's a, the, in the Greek, it, they would have had this in their minds of an elderly, experienced statement, uh, statesman who had been sent to represent a government official, a high-ranking government official. We're familiar with that. The United States has ambassadors, right? And whenever somebody is selected to uh, be an ambassador to another country, that is a great honor. That is something that is uh, sought after, and it is something that uh, brings honor not only to the person who is selected, but to uh, when they do their job well, when they are representing the United States well, it brings honor to the, to the United States. It would be of utmost importance that any ambassador, the one being sent, doesn't represent themselves, their opinions, or their desires. They are to represent the opinions, the desires, and the manner of the one who sent them. That's the picture that the Greeks would have had in their mind, that these people in Corinth would have had in their mind. Paul makes it clear that you and I are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are on this planet to represent Him in all that we do. When people look at our lives, they see Jesus Christ. When we speak, they hear Jesus Christ. When we work, they see Jesus Christ. When we marry, when we parent, when we go hunting, when we go to school, when we build relationships, when we love each other, when we go on vacation, when we do church ministry, when we go to church, the world sees Jesus Christ because we are His ambassadors. They don't see us and our opinions and our wants and our desires. That is so hard for some of us to grasp. Most of us here. It's hard for me to grasp. Everything in my life should point somebody to Jesus Christ. Everything I say should refer people to Jesus Christ. How I am kind, how I am gentle, how I pastor. Paul gives us a picture of what this looks like in verse 17. Take a look at chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The world sees Jesus in our daily lives, not us, because our old selves have passed away. Our old selves are gone once we understand who Christ is, once we understand what our sin and how our sin is and how it separates us from God, once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, who we are dies and we become new creations in Christ. Paul also helps us understand this in his own life when he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is uh, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer Paul who lives. It is Paul who lives for Christ. Paul calls himself an ambassador here in this passage. Paul calls himself an ambassador in chains. An ambassadorship doesn't make any difference if you're having a good day or a bad day or if a good life. Paul said, I'm an ambassador in chains at one point in his ministry, saying, I even represent Christ when I'm in prison for two years. And when we start looking at this, we have to ask the question, has your life been crucified to Christ or do you still live your life what does the world see in your life? What does the world see that you love more than anything else? 
Ask yourself this, what would change in my life if I really did live like an ambassador to Christ? What would change in my life if I really lived as an ambassador for Jesus Christ? You see, this idea of being a Christian just isn't I add Christianity to my life and I keep on going and I don't have to go to hell anymore and I don't have to be separated from God. It is a complete change. I die to myself and I rise and raised with Christ and I live for Christ. As ambassadors, we no longer live for ourselves. We have died to self and now our lives are given solely to live as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. In other words, an ambassador has the same heart of Jesus, that Jesus Christ has. You see, that's all ambassadors should have, that they should look at the world with the same heart of the one who sent them. Amen? So what does an ambassador of Jesus Christ's heart look like? Well, we're going to run through some. You'll have a list there in your notes. Okay, and we're going to start in chapter 4. So go back to chapter 4. We're just going to quickly go over this for the sake of time this morning. What does the heart of an ambassador for Jesus Christ look like? Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And then drop down to verse 7. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. First aspect or first characteristic of the heart of an ambassador is that they're humble. You see this um, ministry, uh, Paul says uh, his ministry was given to him by God's mercy. Paul didn't feel that he deserved this ministry. And think about what Paul as a Pharisee was saying in in chapter uh, 4 verse 7. Remember, Paul grew up, Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And he says, but this we have treasured in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul was saying, an ambassador of Christ has a humble heart because it's all about God. It is nothing about us. And I live for my Savior. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Because it was given to me by the mercy of Jesus, by the mercy of Jesus Christ, by opening my eyes to my sins so that I could see that I needed Jesus Christ. The power belongs to God, not them. The whole tone of our passage is one that points us in the direct and direction that being an ambassador is a privilege. Sometimes when we think about having to go out and be a witness for Christ, that, man, this is really going to hurt my life, this is really going to hurt my ministry or my work, people are going to look at me differently, who's all that focused on? Me. But what we have to understand here is that being an ambassador for Jesus Christ is a privilege, and Paul is saying, I am glad that everything is laid aside. I am glad that my old life has passed away. I am glad of who I am in Christ right now, and what I am doing is a privilege. And for us to be called as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, which we have already read and seen, okay, it is a privilege. It is not something that we bear with our arms twisted behind our back. We stand up and we look at the world around us and we say, you need to understand who Jesus Christ is no matter what that costs us, because we are living just like Christ did. We also see in uh, the first part of verse 2 of chapter 4, but we have renounced and have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. What we see here, uh, a heart characteristic is uh, they are honorable. An ambassador of Jesus Christ is honorable. They don't use underhanded ways to get people to uh, convert and follow Christ. 
Paul says, I don't have a hidden agenda. It's not me who's doing this. I'm going to do this in an honorable way, not like those who peddle the gospel. And then we see in the last part of verse 2 of chapter 4, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth. An ambassador of Jesus Christ is humble. An ambassador of Jesus Christ is also truthful. He's truthful no matter what is the cost, no matter what he has to say in front of the world around him. We also see uh, that an uh, ambassador of Jesus Christ is sacrificial. Look at chapter 4, verses 13, starting in 13. Chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people. It may, be, may, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Basically what we're saying here is that he is dedicated and Everything that he is doing, including defending his apostleship, is for whose glory? God's. It is for what? It is for his sacrifice. Uh, I missed one here. Go back to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. Not only is it truthful and sacrificial, it is also an apost- an, uh, um, the heart of an ambassador is invincible. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. It's invincible. No matter what happens, the ambassador stands up and says, I represent Christ, and I will respond to everything that happens in my life like Christ responded when he went to the cross. Now turn over to chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 6. What we hear, find here is that he is also uh, truthful, invincible, sacrificial. And then we look at chapter 5, verse 6. He is courageous. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are always what? Courageous. And then we see in chapter 5, verse 7, that ambassador's heart for Christ is faithful. Look at verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? These characteristics are the heart of an ambassador. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to do what? Please Him. An ambassador's heart is focused on pleasing the one who sent him. Let me ask you a question. When you walk out of the house in the morning, is it your intent to do nothing throughout the day that doesn't please the Lord Jesus Christ? It is my intent to please Him. We all get ready for work, right? We all get ready for our day, at least most of us do. We look in the mirror, and for some of, for some of the ladies, they put on makeup, and we make sure that we are dressed uh, appropriately for whatever situation we're going into. We prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds for what the day has. Uh, many of us have devotionals, and we pray, and everything like that. So my question is, do you also prepare your heart and your mind that when you walk out the door, I... I'm going to do everything today to please the one who I am an ambassador for. 
When you make a decision to eat lunch, when you make your plan, is everything in there saying, this is going to bring God the most glory? At least have that thought go through your head. It doesn't mean that you have to pick whether you're going to go to Chick-fil-A or to McDonald's. Okay, but the idea is in my hot mind and in the back of my mind, everything I do, I'm saying, what brings God the most glory here? What brings God the most glory? They're focused on pleasing the one who sent them. And look at chapter 5, verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who, might, uh, who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves. There's that idea again. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. Again, what we see is that a heart that is a, an ambassador of Christ, okay, is controlled by the love of Christ. And why? Because Christ died for all his ambassadors. Therefore, they live for him. It is clear that for us to represent Jesus Christ on the earth, to be his ambassador, we must have a new heart, one that is given by God that has the characteristics that we have looked at. Even a quick read through the Gospels reveals that these heart characteristics, okay, were first shown in the life of Jesus Christ. Every single one of these characteristics, heart characteristics, Jesus Christ demonstrated to us before he ever made us ambassadors. Every, uh, every one of these heart characteristics emanates from Jesus Christ. Every one of these characteristics is found in the, in the heart of Jesus, like I said. Let me ask you this. Are you confident that you have a new heart? Are you absolutely sure that your heart has become new and a new life is growing within you? Do the growing desires of your heart give evidence that your life is becoming more and more like Christ so that you become a, a better ambassador for Him? We have to understand something effectiveness of your witness that we know that we've all been commanded to do that your effectiveness of your witness for Christ depends on how much you or how you answer these questions how much does my life show that my life has been changed by Jesus Christ each and every day how much is my life growing in the last year two years five years am I somebody different than I was five years ago because I'm growing as an ambassador in Jesus Christ. Not just because I'm going through the natural uh, uh, maturity, uh, maturation of, of uh, humans, and I get more wise, or at least we should as we get older, right? Okay? We hope that we all get more wise as we get older, right? Just because we've lived. But that's not what this is talking about. It means that I, my life is changing because I am an ambassador and an ambassador's heart is going to grow in that each and every day. So we understand what an ambassador is and what his heart looks like. So what is the ministry of an ambassador? What is the ministry of an ambassador? Look at chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God. Again, Paul is pointing out that everything that he has just written about is from God. He had nothing to do with it. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. 
What is the ministry of an ambassador? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. What is reconciliation? What does that word mean? It's not one that we often hear and, and use in our daily lives. It is God reaching out to us through Jesus Christ to provide a way for our relationship to be repaired with Him. First and foremost, before we can have the ministry of reconciliation, we must be reconciled to Christ. Before we can have a ministry of reconciliation, we have to be reconciled to Jesus Christ ourselves. And we have to understand something. This reconciliation is one way. Many times in, 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 in the world, uh, when we think of reconciliation, uh, if I'm going to be reconciled with my wife, a lot of the times uh, my wife and I both need to be reconciled to each other. Maybe I got mad and then she responded in the right way, uh, wrong way. Okay, she's responded in the wrong way. And so I need to apologize and I need to make it right with her. I need to be reconciled to her. I need to be made right with her. My relationship needs to be made right. But does she also need to be reconciled to me? Yes, because she may not have, may not, okay, I understand that, may not have responded to me in the right way. And she has her own issues that she needs to deal with, with me to reconcile me to her. With God, that's not the truth. It is only one way. God has never done anything that he needs to be reconciled to us for. We, he has always been loving. He has always been kind. He has always been just. And we see that throughout the word. We are the only ones that need to be reconciled to him. We put it this way, it is not God reconciling himself to us because he has never sinned against us. He has always been loving and gracious and merciful towards us. It is God reconciling, reconciling us to him. It is not God reconciling himself to us. It is God reconciling us to himself. We are the ones who sinned against him. And there is nothing we could do to repair the broken relationship with him. So he provided a way to repair the relationship through his son, Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger. Notice at the end of verse 18, he didn't just reconcile us. Look at, look at verse 18, the end of it. Christ reconciled uh, us to himself and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. So what is our ministry as ambassadors? It is reconciliation. That is what our witness is. It is coming out to the world, imploring them. Understand what he says here. Look at what he says. Uh, Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. God is making an appeal through us as His ambassadors. He is using us as a conduit, okay? We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. How many of you implore those around you that you love? How many of you work hard at reaching your neighbors and your co-workers and those in your family that you implore them? You need to be reconciled with Jesus Christ. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So many times we just hope and pray that God will kind of do that on His own and kind of lay things in our lap and somebody is ready to accept Jesus Christ right away. But we see Paul here, he says, I implore you. When's the last time you really looked at somebody? Somebody you love who doesn't understand who Christ is, and you implored them, you need to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. You need to be reconciled to God. You know, we need to understand something. And I need to be clear here. Today's church is confronted by a seemingly endless variety of ministries, methods, strategies, and styles. Some argue that the church should advocate for social and political change 
uh, to force culture, uh, cultural morality or even help usher in the kingdom of God. Others insist uh, the church's message should be inoffensive, upbeat, and affirming to create a positive atmosphere in which non-believers can feel welcome and not threatened. Still others believe their church's primary task is to defend its theological distinctives. But here and in other places in Scripture, there is no confusion about what the church's mission is. It is for us to be witnesses, for us to be witnessing as ambassadors that the world needs to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That is what we do. That is what we're here. That is what our ministry is. We plead and we implore the world around us to come to Christ. How many of you have know somebody in your mind right now? And I, I know this happens because it does to me. Many of you immediately had somebody's mind, name come to mind. Most people in here today do not have to think about somebody that they need to implore to, reach for, uh, to, to come to Jesus Christ. How many of you have looked at them, sat them down, and said, you need to be reconciled with God because your life doesn't show that you know Christ? How many of you are afraid to do that because of their response? Paul says we need to implore. We have to understand something. They're not guaranteed tomorrow. They're not guaranteed the rest of today. And I, there are people in my life who I knew were not saved. Who I did that, I was kind of a nice guy to them, and I, and I um, uh, you know, kind of fit Jesus in once in a while. And I know of three people right now in my life that are no longer here, and I never once implored them to come to Jesus Christ. I carry that with me. It's not my fault they didn't come to Christ, but I didn't do I was not a proper ambassador. And so I have a friend now who I've known now for 10 years and we eat together often and we do things together with beekeeping and all that kind of stuff that I do. And it started to move in that same realm. And as I was studying this, I stepped back and I said, here I am, I'm going to tell everybody out here about this and I'm doing it with this guy. And so... About 10 days ago, two weeks ago, we had lunch. And I was sitting down on the other side of the table in Pedro's. And I said, can I talk to you about something? And he looked at me and he said, sure. And I said, you can stop me whenever you want. He goes, I won't stop you. And for the next hour, I talked to him about Jesus Christ. I talked to him about being reconciled. I talked to him. How, about how much he needed Jesus Christ. And he asked a whole lot of questions. He didn't make a profession of faith that day, but I understand, and I am leaving it in God's hands, that I looked at him and I said, you need Jesus Christ in your life. I took a deep breath as I walked out, and he texted me later, and he said, I really enjoyed our lunch today. And I went, Yeah! And I started looking at the next time we could meet so we can continue the conversation because I don't want to stop. I want to implore him. He's a good friend and he is as lost as they come. And he's not in good health and he's older. And there's no guarantee that he is going to meet with me on another lunch. How about you? Have you really implored those that you love, those that you know, you need to come to Christ.
being ambassadors of the message of reconciliation is a main responsibility of us as Christ followers. And we need to understand something. This is not a call for Sardis Baptist Church as an organization to do this. You cannot say that I'm doing reconciliation because the church as a whole is doing reconciliation and being good witness. When Paul was talking about this, he's writing to individuals. We each have to look at our lives in, our, in the mirror and say, does my life show that I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ so that the message of Jesus Christ is not hindered? I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people uh, and, and heard people even as I'm, and, and they'll say, when I tell them that, they say, well, your life is no different than mine. Oh, what a, that would be so hard. Because our lives should be different. Our priorities should be different. What we pine for, what we work for, is different because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ because we're not living for ourselves. What is the message of reconciliation? What is that message? Let's look at chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we understand that the first part of reconciliation is understanding that uh, we have trespasses, that God is going that God is going to require us to answer for. But here we say uh, that they're not counting their trespasses. And we need to ask the question, how do we get to a point where God is not counting our sin, not counting our trespasses against us? How do we get there? Because that is the only way we can become ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so we look, if we go on down, okay, uh, to verse 21. For, uh, for our sake He made Him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. How do we become ambassadors of Jesus Christ? We look to Jesus Christ, the one who had no sin, who was made sin, who died for us on the cross, so that we could have His righteousness, so we could be looked at with His righteousness and have all of our sins wiped away. That is the only way we can become an ambassador. Coming to church will not make you an ambassador. Having ministry in the church will not make you an ambassador. The only thing that will make you an ambassador is a heart that has changed, that you become a new creation because you understand that you need Jesus Christ and it is only through His death, Him taking on your sin, that can change your life. We become new creations by being reconciled to God. I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. Why is this so important? Listen to this. It says, for we must all appear. Who's all? Who's all? Everybody here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Why do we need to be reconciled? Because every single person here, every person outside that door will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be a time when there, there is no talking, there is no debating. It's just going to be either you belong to me or you don't belong to me because of Jesus Christ. You have been reconciled through my son or you have, uh, you have been reconciled through my death on the cross or you have not been reconciled. And we need to understand that is why we first must 
be reconciled ourselves. And then once we do that, that is when we begin the reconciliation ministry that God has given us so that we can plead with other people, so we can be proper witnesses with the heart of Jesus Christ to reach out and say, you need to be reconciled. Look at this. Let me ask you a question. Please be honest with yourself. Give yourself the Christmas gift of honesty right now. Is the desires of your heart show that you've been reconciled with Jesus Christ? Do the desires of your heart show that you have been reconciled with Jesus Christ? Is your life focused on Jesus Christ in everything that you do? As parents, when we make decisions for our children and allow them to do things, do we take in consideration this question, how will this promote Jesus Christ? How will this bring somebody closer to Jesus Christ? When we take new jobs and, and when we, when we uh, ask people, uh, uh, when we are young and ask people to marry, do, I mean, I'm, I'm counseling two people right now, or two couples right now, uh, and I'll tell you something, that's just one of the best things in my life. I, I enjoy it thoroughly. And one of the couples told me, and Kathy, Kathy always does marital counseling with me. She says she's the com uh, comic relief because I get too intense. Okay. And so uh, one of the couples, I asked them, I, I said at the last time that we met, I said, hey, how, how are you, am I meeting your needs here? Is this what you thought counseling was be, would be? And both of them said, it is better than we ever thought it would be because for the first time we understand what marriage is really about. It's not about us. It's not about the white picket fence and two and a half kids, however that works, okay? It is about Jesus Christ and everything in my marriage needs to reflect back on Jesus Christ. And you want to know something? It was like my heart just was overwhelmed because they're growing in Christ. They're growing in their own ambassadorship. And one of the things we talked about is now since they know this, they are to pass it on to other people so that they can understand what marriage is really about. That's what being an ambassador is in every area of your life. So as Michelle comes today, we understand through the Advent season and the IMs that we went over and all the decorations on the tree here that represent each of the IMs, we understand that Jesus Christ is the focus of the Advent. Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, was the one that made reconciliation completely possible. As we go into 2022, let me ask you to go to prayer right now and ask God, Lord, let me see what I need to change to become a better ambassador for you. Go to prayer right now. Go to prayer. And what can I do to become a better ambassador for you? What can I do to make my witness for you my primary mission in life? To make my witness for you more effective? Spend just a minute in prayer for that. If upon reflection you are finding that Really, most of your life has nothing to do with 
being focused on Christ or wanting to do things with Christ, but on your wants and your desires and what you feel and your opinions. There's only there's two things that one of two things that you need to consider. Number one is I'm saved and I've been focused on the wrong things and I need to get right with God and ask for his forgiveness. Or I've never had a relationship with Christ. I've never have uh, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, there's no possible way for you to ever become an ambassador. If you, God has revealed that to you, I, I ask and pray that you would allow me or Pastor Adam to talk to you, to, to walk you through what it means to understand who Christ is, the babe in the manger. Let us help you understand this even more thoroughly. Father God, this world is so distracting. Satan doesn't want us to understand, doesn't want us to see, doesn't want us to grow in a way that our lives support and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many times, Father God, we live lives day in and day out with little, if any, thought of Christ, with little, if any, thought to the things that I make decisions on and how they uh, are promoting or not promoting the message that you've given us to, to give. Father, everything from, uh, just everything in our lives, Lord God, I pray that we would think through that we would ask, how does this promote the message? How does my life and how I'm living it now match the message of Jesus Christ's love and sacrifice for me? Oh, Lord God, we ask that you would grow this church as individuals into effective ambassadors for Christ. Father, I pray that when we walk out this door, that all of us who know Christ would be a picture of Christ to the world because we live with the same heart that He does and did. Lord God, I pray that we would be able to impact this town that we live in, the surrounding towns, our workplaces, our families who are unsaved, our neighbors who don't know Christ. I pray that we would be able to shed the light of Christ on them and that when they look at us, they can say there's something different. Their lives are focused on Jesus and I want to know why. Father, help us to be effective witnesses by being effective ambassadors. In Christ's name, amen.